Welcome to Global One Media Stocks to Watch. I'm Michael Suido. I'm speaking today with David Williams. He's the executive chairman of Mount Isa Minerals. They're an Australian mining company that's focused on copper exploration in the northwest of Queensland. David, welcome to the show. Thanks, Michael. Looking forward to having a chat with you. David, you've worked in commodities, energy, resources for most of your career, and you're definitely familiar with minerals exploration in Queensland, which is where Mount Isa Minerals Project is located. But until you joined the company a few months ago, you had not focused on copper specifically. So tell us, what attracted you to the company? Yeah, Michael, it's, it's an interesting story, that. And, and I suppose people said the same to me with uh, Thompson Resources when I took it down a silver pathway. What got you into silver? And, and look, really, it's about this whole issue of critical minerals, critical metals, the movement to net zero by 2050. And... Copper is a is a misunderstood uh, metal or mineral. Yeah, it, we take it for granted, um, but it's what will drive the whole move to to net zero. We need a lot of it, and, and I'm happy to talk about that a bit later on. But this company, therefore, its focus was on copper. Its location, it's right next door to the Mount Isa mine that Glencore owns, and that's been operating for ninety to hundred years. It had an extensive exploration database. It had some fresh thinking. It had proof of concept. It had evidence on the surface, rock chips up to 34%. So it ticked a lot of boxes for me in the sense of this wasn't absolute greenfields. Fantastic address, evidence of it, good geology behind it, drill ready, set to go. Really interesting. Interesting to hear what attracted you to it. And it, it does sound very attractive. Uh, and you mentioned about copper and net zero. So let's dive a bit more into copper right now. Uh, it's used in generators, motors, wiring, basically anything electrical, not to mention roofing, plumbing, industrial machinery. And it's a, a key component of electric vehicles. Um, so for some time now, we'll get more into the EVs in a bit, for some time, copper has been seen as a bellwether for the global economy. When copper prices surge, it's seen as a sign of an economic upswing. When their prices fall, it indicates that a recession could be coming. I'm wondering if you think whether this is still the case today, because copper is actually trading about 20% lower than it was a year and a half ago. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, look, it is at the moment, and, and I think it's very interesting to come back to how it's trading at the moment with that whole pressure that will come from the move to 2050 net zero. It, we, we think about it, you know, energy is our life, using energy is our life. What's an important component of energy is copper. You know, the stronger the economy, the more businesses are, are moving, the more we're prepared to spend on, on items, the more energy required, the more copper required. So it, it's and given the quantities of it, yeah, it's not surprising, therefore, that it has been that good indicator of the economy. And I think that's where you've seen in 2023, copper hasn't been at the prices everyone was expecting. It, it has been depressed. But then the market, the, the economies around the global economies have actually not been strong. Uh, we're starting to see an improvement in the copper prices. In fact, I think we're starting to see an improvement in the sentiment of the, the global economy and the market. So 2024, I think, will be quite different. But I think the other element that you just touched on, which is going to change it, uh, is the whole move, the whole push to net zero by 2050. 
So let's talk demand. S&P Global thinks that demand for refined copper will nearly double within the next 10 to 11 years. Uh, where do you think this demand is coming from? So, you, you, you touched on um, you know, the, the amount of copper in, in electric vehicles and, and in you know, the other one that's often referred to as solar panels. I use a slightly different analogy to illustrate the, the, the issue we've got. You've got a wind farm. And it's a series of windmills all have to be connected to transport the electricity. You've got a solar farm. You've got a whole series of solar panels all having to be connected to transport the electricity. You've got these wind farms and you've got these solar farms not in the location, so tradi traditional base load generation. How do you transport the electricity produced by these farms uh, to where it's required? you need wires to transmit it. All of that interconnection and that transmission is copper. So a lot of the large quantity of, of that's driving the demand for, for copper as we go forward will actually be in those ancillary signs of it, even apart from the fact that you're actually going to have a, a quite a large amount of copper in, uh, in, in wind turbines, in electric vehicles. And, and I think that's the thing that gets forgotten. You know, we, we all, I think generally, everyone has just taken copper for granted. It's always been there. You know, we've been mining it for, in Australia for, you know, over 100 years. Um, and, and therefore, people haven't really focused on it. But I think they're beginning to focus on it now. And a, a conservative illustration of that um, was, you know, we've mined approximately 700 million tonnes of copper from this planet since we've been on it. We need another 1.4 billion tonnes in order to achieve the net zero in 2050. I mean, those numbers are staggering. And I can tell you, the easy copper's been found and it's been mined. So yes, there'll be copper there, but it's going to be much harder to find. You mentioned solar power, wind energy. Uh, China is rapidly scaling up its solar energy capacity. Goldman Sachs expects the PRC will install around 150 gigawatts of copper-intensive solar energy capacity this year, which is almost twice as much as the year before. And we didn't even talk about hydropower. Even that requires lots of copper for the storage and for moving the water from one place to another, apparently, for powering that. Uh, and we talked about electric vehicles. And one thing, though, which I, I wanted to share with you is that possible counterpoint is I read that while copper is really intensive, sorry, really necessary for EVs, Tesla and others are finding ways to limit the amount of copper that's needed. They're using thinner copper foil, more compact batteries, higher voltage systems, uh, and these innovations might dampen the demand. Are you concerned about this at all? No, no, again, not. And and, uh, and uh, yeah, we're talking about the specific uh, vehicles and so on there. And yeah, it's, it's a small quantity. Yeah, it's kilos. But those vehicles have to be charged. You have to have charging stations along the road so the vehicles can be recharged and continue on their journey. How do you connect and transport the electricity to those charging stations? Copper wires. So again, I keep stepping back from the, the micro that a lot of people focus on. Yeah, it's it's important for, for the driving and for the for the demand, but the big demand driver is going to be this interconnection and transportation of the energy, of the electricity. You've made a strong case for the demand side of the equation. What about supply? Is there enough supply currently to keep up with demand? 
No, and, and look, I think that's what's becoming important and starting to be appreciated. You know, the, as I said, a lot of copper has been mined already, uh, and that was the easy stuff. They were large quantities, high grade, near the surface, but they're starting to, to disappear. They're starting to get towards the end of mine life. You know, we've seen Chile as one of the world's largest producers of copper. Its production is declining 10% per annum. A good example next door to us, which I consider it a positive, and we can talk about that a bit later on, is Glencore announcing the scaling back of the Mount Isa mine uh, right next door to where our tenements are. Scaling back because it's running out of copper resources. It needs further resources, and, and that mine was Australia's second largest copper producer. So you're starting to see those big mines that have been providing the copper over the decades getting towards the end of their mine life. Where is it coming from? And you know, it's not surprising when you look at the large companies and large companies are starting to talk about the need for copper and lift the profile of copper. Back in September, US Department of Energy actually added copper to critical minerals list in the USA, and that's not a long list. As a, as, a, as a critical mineral as well. So we're starting to see that lifting. But of course, I think coming back to the point I made before, that the, the general community or the general investment community has considered it's almost like iron ore. You know, it's, there's a lot of it there. It's been, been there forever. There's big mines. We don't need to worry about that. We need to chase lithium or rare earths or some of the other exotic minerals. And yeah, they're all important. But if you don't have that bulk mineral that's going to drive this net zero, you can't do anything with them. It's really interesting to know you talk about the supply there and about how Glencore is going offline. Uh, one of the world's largest copper mines, a project in Panama, is being shuttered. Uh, that follows a landmark court ruling just this week. Um, so there's definitely scope for new mines to come in and to bring, uh, well, for existing mines to increase their output and for new players to come into the market which I think brings us to Mount Isa's project. Tell us, what's the uh, the current status? Well, so the, the current status is we, we're working forward to complete the IPO. Our target is uh, is in the new year, and, and first quarter of next year. We're ready to go. And um, you know, we've done a lot of, you know, there's 250,000 soil and rock chip samples. I mentioned before, you know, rock chips up to 34% copper. So we know it's here. You can see it on the surface. You can see the, the pegmatites that are driving it through to the surface. Massive database of, uh, of geophysical data, which has helped us take a, a rethink as to the geology and take a mineral systems approach and realise that it's a different system where we are, which is on the western side of the Mount Isa Fault. It's a true IOCG style of deposit there as opposed to the Mount Isa deposit, which is on the eastern side, uh, is a more of a sedimentary hosted deposit. Same source. And we know the quantity of copper that has come out of Mount Isa. So we're sitting there with the same source. We did some drilling in uh, 2022 to approve a concept program. Uh, it's picked up the mineralisation uh, and, and some of the geology we were expecting. So the concept, that mineral systems uh, review that we did or the approach we've taken, verified by the drilling. 
And so we're now ready to go. We, you know, we're just waiting as soon as the company is, is listed and we've got the IPO funds in, the drill rigs will be on. You know, we've got 13 walk-up targets already identified. Uh, the approvals are in place. Even a lot of the pads and the, uh, and the access roads are in place. Uh, the agreements with uh, the, the landholders and the uh, local uh, First Nations people are in place. So, so we're set to go. And, you know, it didn't su surprise us with the Glencore announcement. You know, we, we, and that, it wasn't as everyone thought about shutting Mount Isa Mine. It's actually about scaling it back operations because they don't have sufficient resources. The beauty about our project being next door, and I, I you know, I stand on that eastern boundary and I'm looking up at the massive waste rock dump at, at the Mount Isa mine, that we, we are literally that close, is we don't have to get approvals for processing or the like. Yes, we'll have to get approvals once we've, we've estimated a resource to, to dig it up, but we'll just then transport it or sell it to next door. And this is part of the problem in looking going forward, which a lot of commentators are picking up on. Now, uh, S&P Global recently said the, the timeline from essentially discovery through to first output has moved out to about 15.7 years. So you think about some of these projects that we're, we're seeing where they're starting on the, on the identification and the drilling. They've still got another... 15, 16, 17 years before they'll be producing because they'll have to go through those approval processes to be able to, to, be able to process what they dig up. Now, they can transport it down, uh, you know, 100, 200 kilometres away, but you'll need a larger resource and a higher grade to be able to withstand those transportation costs. Bad eyes and minerals, our tenements are next door, literally to the processing plant, about two kilometres. We drive through their haul road just to get to the start of our tenements. That's a tremendous advantage and a tremendous advantage, not just in the timing, but actually in the quantity of resource we'll need to define at an early stage. So you mentioned that uh your company is likely going public. Uh, we often wrap up these interviews with a message to potential interview, excuse me, a message to potential investors, a elevator pitch, if you will. And while Mount Isa isn't publicly traded yet, it likely will be in the year ahead. So if it does go public, why do you think viewers should invest in the company? Right. So we, our target is four to one next year, and uh, we, we'll we're well advanced. So watch this space in the new year, um, and uh, watch for that prospectus to be lot. Why would you invest in, in this company? It's copper, it, and its focus is copper. You know, we're not adding in other minerals. So it's an opportunity for an investment in a copper play. It's location. I often say to people, I sound like a real estate agent. It's location, location, location. We are next door to a mine and a processing operation that you'll probably not see the likes of again in Australia. So we've got a, a, an excellent route there. We've got proof of concept, we've got surface with, with those rock chips, we've got drill program ready to go on listing, bang, we'll have those drill rigs out there drilling. We've got historical core ready to go for multi-element assays. It'll be a good news story. We're focused on in the next three years producing a mineral, a copper 
mineral resource estimate and being ready then to get that commercialized as quickly as possible. I love that comparison that you have for your company from outrise and minerals with uh, with property location, location, location. You guys have it. Uh, it's been really great to explore the ins and outs of copper with you. Uh, I'm going to leave it for others to decide whether copper prices are still a bellwether for the global economy. However, from speaking with you, it seems one thing is for certain: copper is definitely playing a crucial role in the transition to green economies. David, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for your time, Michael. A pleasure talking to you. We've been speaking with Mount Isa Minerals Executive Chairman David Williams, and you've been watching Global One Media's Stocks to Watch. I'm Michael Suido.